0: Welcome to the Crater Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss all the JavaScript news that's happened on Crater.io this week. This episode is for Friday, June 10th, 2016. This episode is brought to you by Modulus.io. They're an easy way to deploy your application no matter the language or framework that you're using. They are great for deploying JavaScript applications using technologies such as Node.js, Meteor.js, Feathers.js, and many other frameworks. They recently updated their build process for Meteor to include uploading the code to a build server. They use a Docker component to create the build and output a consistent application that gets sent to the servos making it more reliable and easier for you to deploy your Meteor application. Check them out Modulus.io. DigitalOcean is the best place to get your Meteor application off the ground quickly and the easiest to scale when you find success. I host Crater.io there so I understand DigitalOcean. Start with a pre-configured one-click launch such as Node.js to get it up and running in 55 seconds or build the exact infrastructure you need with root access to servers running 100% SSD in state-of-the-art data centers around the world. DigitalOcean is the fastest-growing cloud infrastructure provider because it's built for developers and laser-focused on its mission to create simple and elegant solutions for developers and teams. Use the promo code CRATER10 on the billing page when you sign up for $10 to get started crater fans i'm your host josh owens along with my co-host bobby ire what's up bobby how you doing man good good i'm down like four pounds from all the running i've done so that's awesome as you saw i started doing like daily vlogs as a way to encourage me to to run and to encourage me to think about like the interesting things going on in my day so if uh, i enjoyed
1: that vlog it was nice
0: oh thanks If you watch this on YouTube, you may already know about that. If you don't, then you should go check it out if you think it'd be interesting. was inspired by Casey Neistat, which if you watch mine and watch his, you'll see. (laughs)
1: Yeah. A lot of YouTubers are going with that style of vlog. Yeah. Because he puts a lot of effort and finesse into it, you know.
0: I find it it makes you think about like what's going on in your day and like how to get interesting shots which is kind of fun yeah. and then like honestly it's only about half an hour of effort to put it together though. Yeah. You
1: really- know what I really appreciate about your blog is like uh you you're driving through the streets, you know? And in, in in Los Angeles streets don't look like that. They don't have like everything's like like these poles with like the lights I've never seen like strung like in you know, a wires and there's like street lights and like really big roads here. Like the roads are so small, you know. Like so yeah. those, those, those are like lifestyle things are pretty cool, you know. I never
0: yeah. see this, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely, it's very different. Like, and even the one I'm putting out today it was like I drove downtown, and so it's a little bit different than the streets here, so. So, this week actually we 're going to talk about one story related to iron router, which hit me on the show last week i didn 't realize this, but Chrome updated and caused a problem with iron router and Remember yeah. that story i couldn 't pull up on the air? Yeah. They were using iron router, and that 's that 's what it ended up being so <laughs> I also predicted in my post run vlog snippet today that we would talk about one point three. And that he might be spewing some annoyance or hatred.
1: Oh, I have so much to say about 1.3 right now. Yes. So much.
0: <laughs> so we're going to cover MongoDB not returning all the docs. Ooh.
1: That was a good article. That was
0: awkward. Uh, blueprint, a blueprint to becoming a React Native developer. Another story from Spencer. We're going to talk about that weird error with Iron Router. And we're going to talk about MongoDB with serverless. Yeah. Seems like serverless is all the rage these days. Yes. So the first one I loved seeing because it's from the Meteor engineering team. And I love that uh, David Glasser like, took the time to sink his teeth into the problem yeah. and like really try to understand what was going on because they were seeing this weird anomaly in their galaxy. And so to me, this is the kind of thing I hoped would come out of Galaxy, right? Like you're seeing interesting changes and tweaks or even just knowledge coming out of the fact that Meteor now has a team that's consuming Meteor and building an application. So the gist of it is this, when you do a find... They were doing a find on the containers that were in a state of healthy or unhealthy. And they obviously, like anytime you're doing a find with a selector key, you want to make sure that you index that, right? And the indexes, what ends up happening is it creates a a log of all the items that are indexed and it's that log is sorted so if something is in like the healthy section of the index you know they they scan that index sequentially and they'll return like the sorted healthy and unhealthy kind of containers there but if it changes from unhealthy to healthy and it's already scanned past the healthy you're going to miss that doc in your find call that's a little bit weird like that's a little bit Unexpected. Like, it's documented, actually. It's a known thing. He found in the docs where it says reads may miss matching documents that are updated during the course of the read operation, and in particular when it comes to indexes. It's in the Mongo docs, but I don't think anyone kind of saw that. And apparently, they thought that it had changed and had been resolved with Wired Tiger. And so they reached out to the Mongo team directly and asked them about it. And they're like, Oh no, let us update the docs. This doesn't work in wired tiger either. Like it works the same way in wired tiger. So I think it like this caused quite a stir on the internet this week. Let's see. 232 likes on the medium post. And then like there was a Reddit thread that was associated with it too. That had like 600 upvotes and like a thousand comments
1: yeah, my my coworker
0: saw it on the top of Hacker News, like, on Tuesday, so... Yeah, which is funny, like, that same day, I saw, I saw this clip, like, Mongo retweeted this clip where they were, like, the number 19 top 50 disruptor company by MSNBC or some crap, and then, like, they're also at the top of the news because uh, they... Definitely have some read issue problems. And so, like, it's not a huge problem. It's just a problem you should be aware of, right? Like, you can work around this problem. In particular, I think the issue manifests itself because they're indexing on a field they're searching by that can change at a moment's notice. And so this points to yet another layer of complexity in Mongo indexing land where you should be thinking about how you index that stuff, you know, like,
1: yeah, yeah. Does this field change a lot? Even, even if you plan out your indexes, it's really hard to get the query planner to do what you want. Right. And you have to really sit there and run these queries and really analyze them like at a like really minuscule scale to understand like, you know, what that pattern is. And it's, it's an art in itself, you know, like my coworker, Gavin, Man, we had some slow... We had these kind of edge cases with our applications collection. And man, that guy just like... For like three days, he's just like running queries, just adding indexes, understanding Mm -hmm. how the query planner would change. What is the efficiency rate of each query? I think that's why we are like... Our Kadira metrics are so good because of these database performance optimizations.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's a trade-off there too, right? Like for every index you add, you're going to slow down your your write inserts by like X, you know, and so it's not like an N plus two or anything like that, but it's definitely like something to be aware of. Like you should definitely try to optimize the queries that matter, the queries that are big queries. I've got two videos up now on YouTube that kind of walk through one, how to find where the slow parts are using Kadira. And then the other one kind of shows you how to use the query planner and figure out where those indexes need to be. And you're right. Like it's the query planner gives you a ton of information when you're using it, which is why I love Mongo three. I'm excited about like meteor one four coming with Mongo 3.2 by default. So I think that'll be uh, yeah. pretty, pretty awesome. And while we're on the topic too, like I did a consulting gig yesterday where I talked to someone and it turns out like I didn't I didn't realize this, but there's no way, like I've, I guess I've never thought about it, but there's no way to tweak the uh, Mongo options that are passed to the driver that connect to the server. You can't tweak your timeout. You can't tweak your retry connection type settings. None of that stuff is is uh, configurable right now. But it looks like in 1.4, that's all going to be something that you... Oh,
1: you're not about like. Yeah, through Meteor Mongo. Right? Mm-hmm. Mongo, yeah.
0: The actual yeah, underlying can, Mongo driver connecting to yeah, the Mongo database.
1: Yeah, you can just run your own Mongo if you want. That's true. That's yeah. true. Then you just say, screw you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then you're not
1: really, I don't know. There's a lot more work, of course. Yeah. And Meteor
0: What's your preferred stack work. now? What's your preferred stack now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Meteor still, I guess. Mm, that's not what you said last night. <laughs> yeah. Should we talk about that now?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Seems like a question right. point.
1: This is a PSA, guys. This is a PSA. <laughs> so recently, we were upgrading to 1.3, Meteor 1.3, and I was promised like it was going to be an easy upgrade, you know. And you know, in previous shows, we we said that like 1.3 was actually a very big update, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, like you, you, some people even thought it was going to be like it should have been a 2.0 release, you know. And uh, that was you, um, and. <laughs> I was promised all these things, like faster build times. I was promised, like, uh, you know, meteor testing is better than velocity. Kind of, not really, a little bit. Modules, I will say, are great. It's just mm-hmm. um, the thing that sucks, though, is like, so we came from a package-based architecture. And I know Sasha preached that a bunch, so he probably is in the same boat as me. Mm-hmm. We had over 200 packages in our Meteor app, because our Meteor app is so big. And the problem imports provide you is if you have this predicament where you have globals in the app namespace, if you're also using in your package because you're wrapping them in functions or is startups and all that, hacks, those meteor hacks that Aronota likes to do, when you put those in imports, your packages don't know anything about imports. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: this whole imports folder, I will agree with everyone now. Before I didn't, I will agree with everyone. This whole imports folder is crazy. Yeah. It just adds a layer of complexity between what you had before and what you have right now.
0: Yeah. And
1: so one another thing is media testing has not gotten any better. Sure, you have some console reporter, but it's super slow, man. It's
0: super slow. There's oddities there, right? Like the fact that your tests live next to your code, but we have a test folder that's specifically documented. That's a little weird. I err towards the side of like using the Zolvio stuff. So mostly using Chimp and and Cucumber to do things. And then like dropping down to Mocha when I need to. But I think Corey's got a good article on just being able to use mocha or test double without even having to load up the the meteor ecosystem and running that much much faster and i think that might be interesting and 1.3 does give you that
1: so i tried that out and that would But see the problem with that is now i have to rewrite over 500 tests or a thousand tests you had a huge
0: test suite and it was already existing
1: we had a huge test suite half of it i would say 50 percent, was in jasmine velocity Mm -hmm. and the other half was in package tests right well, here's the, here's the biggest problem. Okay? Tap I-18N does not work for 1.3 currently today. It'll throw on the server. So all these people have these bugs where we were all in package architecture. Once again, it was a big mistake now. like We're depending on the Tap I-18N namespace to get all the translations, right? Whatever. Well... If we're testing functions in our package test that rely on Type by N in package test mode there are no translations, so that's another throws all these errors. So like it was just a bunch of errors. I'm not even done yet, dude. Like I've had to do Jasmine tests, turn them into Mocha tests, and verify them on the Meteor test. There's like seventy like failing tests. I need to fix one. I have to run all the tests again. I got to mm. boot up the app. You talking about up-
0: the package tests? You got to run all the tests?
1: No, I'm just talking about like app test mode, like met- mm-hmm. Meteor test. Yeah. So I yeah. just wanted to vent a little bit.
0: That's the thing I like about Cucumber and like Chimp is the fact that you can just mark one test and run it.
1: That's my rant. All yeah,
0: right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I definitely agree on the imports folder. Like, I, wh- why not why not move the auto import to a package that we could remove? I would totally remove that on brand new apps. Like, I get that it's not something that you could necessarily remove for work pop because like there's probably a lot of lines that have to be written in to make it work. But at the same time, like it's just, it's, it's weird. It's unnatural. Like I just end up, my entire app ends up in the imports folder and I feel like we just push from a like packages are the best thing to imports are the best things and like i get the payoff down the road right it, like when we get to webpack we can start doing code splitting and tree shaking and all these really interesting things to to make it a much better user experience for clients that are connecting but okay. it's an odd path to get there to me
1: yeah and i'm just worried that we did all this package stuff now we're going to put everything in the imports folder. Then they're going to have some cockamini like, client imports, <laughs> server imports, you know, like some random thing that's, like, supposedly better. Then I have to move all that stuff again. And it's this never-ending cycle. Like, man, figure some stuff out and finalize it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, but let's get on with the article because I took too much of the time. Okay, I was pissed off about Meteor. But what I realized, the great thing about React React in general, is it's a bridge between many communities, right? React is a bridge between Meteor or Express or Java or whatever you're using on the backend. React can be that bridge. So, like, this article is called, you know, Blueprint to Becoming a React Native Developer. And the great thing about being a React Native Developer is you actually extended your bridge to another community. Now you know all the web stuff, and you can walk your way over to the mobile side, and you can build mobile apps and stuff. So, uh, this is by Spencer Carley from Differential. He has a like, I think it's like five steps to become a React native developer. And I want to go through through them. This is really like short and sweet. Um number one, obviously, is like learn JavaScript. There's not much going around that one if you want to use uh, React technologies. Um I guess you could use um Ohm, which is like that React implementation in ClojureScript, but mm-hmm. If you don't even know a little bit of JavaScript, I wouldn't even go for closure scripts. You know, if you're starting out. Second one is obviously learn React. You know, because it's React Native. You have to know the React principles. You know, and React really is rethinking best principles. You know, that's what their whole the whole React Native push and React itself is like really rethinking how web web development's done. You know, um, so that's something you should do. Then you got to jump into React Native, and there's this speaker what's her name she was on the show bonnie
0: bonnie yeah bonnie ozman
1: yeah bonnie eiselman she has a good book right it's called like (laughs) learning react native you should read that for sure there's also like you know getting started tutorials and honestly the getting started tutorial for react native like it bootstraps like a small little app you can run it on you know on xcode or something and it's really quick and it's just like super easy to start going and getting that instant feedback like the feedback loop is really quick. You know, you start making a button, you see it. And like as a web developer, you're like, oh man, I always have some crappy mobile web experience, but this is actual iOS experience. You're like, wow, I can actually do what they do. (laughs) And then number four is learn a backend. There's parse, there's, uh, you can even use Firebase or something. Uh, There's Meteor, which maybe you don't want to use. Express. You know, all of these places, all these different things. And that's what you really need to connect your React Native app to. There's no app without a server, and there's no app without a client. So React Native represents the client, and you need to find out, you know, what server fits best for you. Yeah, Spencer, you know, honestly,
0: I probably would have flipped these points because the next one says learn Redux. And I think if you learn Redux, then Apollo becomes... Like a possible backend as well, or GraphQL. That's
1: true. That's true. Yeah. That's interesting. He, he should have switched these points because you're right. Redux and Apollo are pretty tightly knit. To some people, don't like that, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter to me. Uh, but they're hand in hand. So in your React Native app, you can manage state with Redux on the client side of things. But you, if you use Apollo, uh, which will have a really good React Native integration from Martin. Um, you will also be able to manage that server data that today you're probably on your phone and you're losing connection all the time because you're using PubSub. And like, Apollo with GraphQL will make your clients a lot better. Um, and it'll also make your whole team, if you're working on a team, you guys all speak the same language on the client. So um, And Redux, if you put Redux in the mobile workflow, then all three, you know, Android, iPhone, and Web, iOS, not iPhone, um, they all speak the same client framework language and server framework language. So that's really awesome. And you can have a lot of people who are truly full-stack developers, not one of these. That's it. That's good. It's a great article by Spencer. And, you know, man, you should just keep pumping out content. That's a message for Spencer. Like, you're doing a great job. Yeah, I would
0: agree and I love this article too because uh, like Spencer is going to be speaking at Creative Remote Conf, the mobile edition, Bonnie's going to be speaking there, he even mentions um, Scott Tolinsky from Level Up Tutorials has a great paid course, which I would also recommend like full disclosure, Scott and I are friends and he's also going to be speaking uh, he's gonna be talking about using Flexbox to design React Native apps. So I personally think the future is React and React Native and it's definitely something that I'm starting to play with a lot more and I think that it's where you should be looking if you're not. Yeah, uh, yeah. And if Angular is your thing, like you should be looking at native script, right? Yeah. Because I, I think they offer a similar path.
1: And it's like I think the, the overall thing is stop thinking in HTML five web apps, like stop thinking that way. Yeah. And it's okay to continue using them for old projects, but look to the future and be like, can I do this better? Because there are already people doing it better than that. You know? Yeah.
0: There was a, there was a really great article. Like if you don't mind a little cursing, I'll see if I can find it for the show notes, but there was a really great article that came out. That was about like, you know, basically the web is is always the future, but like native apps are now, and it 's something that you can deliver affordably at a known cost like if someone came to me and said, "How long will it take me to build a web app i 'm going to tell you like you know it 's like buying a car like what what kind of car do you want? It becomes easier to ballpark. <laughs> a native app because like he was talking about the frustrations of like, you know, we, we fixed this problem, this rendering problem with Firefox. And then it turns out, Oh, we broke, you know, it doesn't work in Microsoft edge anymore. Like
1: the programmer's dilemma.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And so that, that's the, that's the key, right? Like we're compiling for known target even, even in Android land where you have like dozens of different phone and screen sizes and hardware and all that kind of stuff. Like, you still at least know that you're going to run this certain app in a certain way. And like the design is, is built in a certain way that you don't have to worry about all the different browser implementations. So kind of, kind of interesting. I've been working on an article because I think like mobile development is the future. Like I don't, I see like all these countries are coming online and like you see everyone buying mobile devices and they have always on connectivity and like the app ecosystem is, is, is where it's at for those countries. Like they're skipping having laptops or desktops all together and just going straight to mobile. And like, that's, that's where it's at. Like you look at some of the top startups right now, they're all mobile apps. You know, they're backed by huge servers that are processing data, but it's like it's all about that phone connectivity.
1: Yeah, if you're a web developer, don't like don't think that like what you're doing right now like sucks. You know, web is always going to be like of of first thought. You know, because sure, Uber still has advantage. You know, Uber still has a web page, right? (laughs) Well, you know, most features are in the app, and that's how most of these mobile companies go. But you know, web developer does not mean you're making HTML, CSS all day. You know, you manage data. That's your job. So,
0: yeah, um, totally. And I, you know, you look at something like face, Facebook. Like, you're still building an app there, but yeah. like they're they're doing it now with React, and then like hopefully importing those components and like reusing GraphQL. So, like, there's interesting things happening in the space, and yeah, I, I think you should be paying attention to it. So, that's
1: just yeah, why two cents. That was a great topic.
0: Indeed. So we talked a little bit about the next one, which is the (laughs) um, exception and callback of async handler with name U already exists. So it turns out what happened is Chrome released, you know, they're like, we're in the, the age of evergreen browsers. And so, like, I didn't even know my Chrome updated, but I hit a site, had a problem. Couldn't load it up. Actually, this problem currently exists for this podcast. Like if you go to podcast.creator.io with yeah. the latest Chrome, no bueno. You don't, you don't get any content. You get a footer. And so I, I got I to gotta fix that, which is funny because I think I've got a branch somewhere That's where I switched to Flow Router. But it turns out that the secret sauce is Iron Router. I'm looking for the exact command. There's an Iron Middleware stack. That needs to be updated to work correctly with Chrome. Yeah, And so, again, this is, you know, this is a perfect example of what we're talking about with like weird errors. Things still work fine in Safari. Things still work fine in Firefox. But it broke in Chrome for some reason. That's very frustrating.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I ran into this problem three months ago. Windows IE 10.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, someone mentioned that.
1: The first bug we found was actually, oh, well, we're not supporting IE10. Why, why are people being rendered any JavaScript? And when we looked into that bug, we also realized that the Iron, the Iron, there's actually Iron Router that was even <laughs> preventing the HTML like upgrade your browser screen from coming up. Yeah, that's how. I'm glad we didn't hit the Chrome issue because that would have been way more users for us. IE10 was so insignificant we were cutting it out anyway. Sucks for all you people. I'm sorry. But <laughs> I'm glad I hit that earlier. It's just, I don't know why people are still on IronRouter. It's legacy projects, I understand. But you gotta start planning. You know, yeah, I, I,
0: know. I would I would move off. But, you know, the problem becomes, and like, I had this conversation yesterday with that, that client I was working with, and yeah. I want to know like, oh, should we move to React? Like, what's the speed we should be moving to React? And it's like, they're a startup with limited funds. There's, are still in fundraising mode. Like I, I don't have a good answer there, you know, like if your code works, like just try to let it work until it becomes a problem, I guess. I don't know.
1: Yeah. yeah Cause when push comes to shove, you're going to do what you need to do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like the-
0: they're, they're getting ready to launch a product. And like I, I, my advice would to be not touch it, you know, like yeah. I, I would, I would try to shore things up. I would try to, Eliminate Iron Router and maybe move to Flow Router. Maybe that's like
1: you didn't have to replace Blaze or anything.
0: Low, low pain enough. Move to template level subscription so that like refactoring into React is maybe less painful down the road. But you know, there's there's not super great advice there.
1: Yeah, and like what I fear, man, the most is like this Iron Middle Stack thing. There's an error. Thankfully, there was some contributor still cared or something to fix it or upgrade the version or whatever well it whatever. was
0: tom it was tom coleman uh oh, okay.
1: well yeah he's holding it down i guess for um,
0: well if you look there's like there's his commit on march 23rd and then there's like the last commit before that was october 9th at least on this particular
1: yeah
0: iron middleware stack and the the last time iron router core was updated was like December 1st, 2015.
1: So I feel bad bad for Tom because as, as the customer support guy for all these like big projects and people who have dev subscriptions and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. the one who has to go to all these repos and beg the contributor to either make it work for meteor. Right. Or he has to do it himself, you know, like all these issues. Explained uh, to you about like I had to work with Tom and we like figured it out together because he didn't know what was going on as much as I didn't know what was going on you know because these like new problems we found that yeah. they didn't have these big clients to to test them on you know
0: feel yeah. bad
1: for that guy. but that's his job I guess
0: yeah and to be fair like he's always been an Iron Router contributor as well so
1: yeah he's an OG but yeah.
0: like he he the original Router like Pages dot Router whatever it was like he had done a lot of work on so yeah gosh what's our next story MongoDB next one. db with serverless
1: so this mongo db with serverless is by Pete Corey, who is in the meteor slack or the uh, space dojo slack chat room
0: mm-hmm.
1: so if you want to join us please join us and you'll be with a lot of people that are like-minded but this is about um, amazon's aws lambda service and There's this other service called serverless, but we'll get into what Lambda is. So like traditional web apps are like you just send like pretty much server sends code to the client, blah 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 blah. We all know how traditional web apps work. But on AWS Lambda, you have your services, you have your mobile apps, you have maybe your REST API or your Apollo server or whatever. Instead of like shipping all these pieces into one thing, you can ship like parts of your applications. They're called lambdas, which are just functions of Mm -hmm. your overall application, and you have, you know, your Lambdas can run, like, the code when it is necessary to be triggered. Mm -hmm. And it's actually pretty smart, you know? Like, you just pay for, like, you know, the time that you use to actually processing stuff. You know, a lot of us today are paying, like, these, like, you know, competitive prices monthly, or like, like hourly or whatever. And it's cool. It's, cause it's just like a pay, pay as you go plan for, you know, development.
0: Well, um, yeah. So if you think about it, like I have to, when I deploy a meteor app, I have to stand up a server that's just sitting there always ready to respond. And you yeah. come along and say like, Oh, Hey, I want to look at crater.io. And then, You look that up and find the server, and then the server's like, oh, hey, here's some HTML. And then you process that, run some JavaScript, and boom, you get a web page. Like with serverless, the idea is that, like, you send a request, the Lambda can then look that up and run the the required function at the time that it's needed, which is interesting, right? Because that few seconds of running time versus, like, that 10 minutes of sitting there when no one's doing anything.
1: Yeah, we we, we sign uh, social security numbers on forms and we have a Lambda function that, you know, that does that for us. So, like, it's actually a lot better uh, because the other alternative was to have, like, an Express app. It's hosted at all times. It's waiting to go, you know, which is not a bad idea. It's, like, so cheap right now. Like, who cares, right? (laughs) But, you know, um, if you want to go that extra mile, then uh, serverless. Is pretty good, and this uh, article is about like, because Pete and most of us are really into Mongo because we have to be. He has a example here of using um, MongoDB with Serverless, and uh, it's actually pretty simple, man. Like they give you, you know, you can use the same APIs that from MongoDB, and you know, you can do all the same processes. It's, it's all it's all the same stuff. You can still use ES six and Webpack and stuff like that. Yeah, it's um, all node under the covers, right? all node, yeah. And you just have to follow some, you know, you just got to follow the plug-and-play instructions that Amazon gives you. And, like, really, like, it's that simple. Like, and he has this, like, if you just look at his project, it's super small. It's, like, such a really small, like, good example of the whole serverless project. He has a couple files, a webpack config, and then just project JSONs for his connection. And that's it. I mean, I would, I would suggest people to play with it. I know from experience that this whole architecture is really beneficial for that computing time. You know, we're computing a lot of data here at WorkPop, and it really is. It's really elegant. It's an elegant solution. Doesn't mean it's the, like the one that was right or the the best one, but it's definitely a very elegant solution, and I, I enjoy it. So,
0: yeah, you know, it's it's kind of interesting too because I had a talk with uh, Sam Hatoum this week about he's like reworking how the book app. works Works. and he's uh he's been converting it to uh work with lambda and so basically like he's using json web tokens and S3 hosting. And so the content's on S3. And like, in order for you to get access to it, you have to have the right cookie on your machine. And so basically, like once you buy the content, you get the cookie on your machine. Anytime you come through, if you don't have the cookie, but you've bought the content, like, it'll re-cookie you. And then you're able to pull up these particular pages. And if you don't have access, like it'll serve up the 403 and say like, Hey, you don't have access. You can buy it here. All of it is handled by... Uh, Lambda, JWT, and S3 with like cert signing and cookies and that kind of thing. So like it's super interesting to me looking at this now. I kind of wonder, like I did a a, a, uh, project at the beginning of the year where we were just collecting Stripe credit card payment information. I kind of wonder would this have been better served with just some... REST API calls or some uh, GraphQL calls or something like that, that are backed by serverless. It would have been much easier to host on the client in the end because they wanted an AWS infrastructure.
1: I don't know. AWS is pretty awesome. The only thing is their UI sucks. It does. It's hard. Like.
0: there's definitely like limitations to like Sam's infrastructure because it's on AWS and like you have to have certs associated with main accounts. And so for every product he wants to sell, he has to set up a new main Amazon AWS account, which is
1: like, uh, yeah, you can't do it dynamically. I remember I talked to Paul down about this stuff. It's, it's really interesting. Maybe I'll tell you another time, but yeah, um, I have one last thing to say before we get on with our lives. One thing we we're talking about mobile development today and we're talking about the serverless thing and we we're talking about React and you know a lot of this this mobile stuff, you know. A lot of this stuff a lot of it pertains to mobile that we're talking about. And you know, one thing that I think people don't really understand is like, you know, when you like load up Bootstrap, you know, bootstrap responsive that's not necessarily progressive or a, a, a modern web app, you know, like a mobile web app. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you, you realize that bootstrap sucks and then you go into, you know, Cordova or phone gap. And then you realize that kind of sucks. And then, uh, then you're like, probably like a lot of people out there. It's like, well, if phone gap Cordova suck and bootstrap responsive is not the way to go. And I don't have, you know, iOS experience. Like, where am I supposed to learn? I'm not supposed to learn how to do this mobile stuff, right? Yeah. Don't you know where to learn that mobile stuff, my friend? Me? Don't we have something coming up to teach yeah. people?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Craterkoff, uh, the mobile edition is coming up. Early bird ends June thirteenth. The events July thirteenth to the fifteenth, and there's twelve talks. I'm super stoked about them. Trying to figure out and finalize the last talk. There's two talks that aren't up there yet, but. One of them, I'm hoping to get someone from the phone gap team maybe or from IBM to give a talk. The last one I'm super interested about, I think we've got some people that are lined up and we're going to do that debate of like, you know, HTML5 native or hybrid or, you know, native bridge or just go all in native, you know. Yeah, and I think that'll be an interesting kind of panel discussion going back and forth.
1: Yeah. I mean, believe me, man, you try to search for this knowledge on the internet, you get 50 different opinions. And it's going to be nice to have a bunch of like-minded people who may have different opinions talk really like professionally about it. So you guys can make up your own minds without having to like read Medium every day, looking for a new post or whatever. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Well, I think, you know, the, the thing to me, at least what I'm excited about, and I wrote about this in email, like, I always wanted to be a game developer as a kid, but like going to Nintendo school up in Toronto when I was 15, like my parents were like, that's not happening. You shouldn't have a different dream in life. And so like, I look at it now and I think, wow, like for my kids, this is an amazing opportunity. Like they could actually just decide to get into game development. And that's totally a legit thing now because yeah. this software exists and all these tutorials exist and kind of walk you through it. And so you could totally pick this stuff up now at the age of 13, 14, 15, and really just go to town with it and start yeah. releasing apps to the app store like games.
1: Yeah. Not every app has to be Tinder. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can make like a photo app for your family.
0: Yeah, there's Snapchat too, right? I mean, come on.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> always right. like personal fun projects.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, you know, by all means, like, just build something fun. Like, screw yeah. money with it. Like, I tend to be in like, how can I make money with this mode all the time? And I don't, like, that's I don't want to be there. So, like, don't go there. Like, sometimes yeah. you just have fun with yeah. it. That's how I yep. ended up at Meteor. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh man, a fun project.
1: Now I have to go to work and not have fun because uh, I got to upgrade this one point three. So I'll oh. see you guys next week.
0: Go fix broken tests. Big thanks to Modulus and DigitalOcean this week, as always. And uh, we will be back this time next week, talking about all kinds of exciting news. I'm sure. All right. See you guys. This has been a Space Dojo production. You can find out more information about Space Dojo at spacedojo.com. It's easy to join the mailing list and stay in the loop. That's S P A C E D O J O.com.